This is Stand Up For The Truth. Educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com or calling us on the queue line. You can't handle the truth. Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth, Mike LeMay. Hey, I was just about to lower my voice so I could sound like Mike LeMay, but actually this is Amy Spreeman, Mike's co-host, and Mike is taking a well-deserved day off here on uh, the day after Labor Day, so uh, wish him well, and uh, he'll be back tomorrow. couple of programming notes before we get started. We've got a very important show today. Uh, we're going to be covering a lot, and the podcast for this program will be uh, ready within a couple of hours, so uh, if you miss something, please go back and pick that up again, or do share it. Um, stand up for the the Truth, by the way, is a radio talk show where uh, we cover all sorts of news and trends in Christendom, and I ask you to do only one thing, and we say this at the top of every program, is no matter what you hear, uh, what you consume, uh, the, the types of books you listen to, or podcasts, or, or whatever you listen to in your Christian faith, please compare everything that you hear to the Word of God. That's the one place that you'll find absolute truth. God is God, and we're just human beings, so, so we're just trying to figure him out. Uh, best place to do that is in his holy, breathed out word. A couple of programming notes also. Uh, this Thursday we are interviewing Warren Smith and he's the he's been on our program many times, but it's been a while. Um, Warren has spent uh, well gosh, uh, he had you know two decades of experience in the New Age realm and uh, came out of it as a born again Christian and now warns other people about New Ageism creeping into the church. He's going to be here in studio with us on Thursday. And then coming up today at noon on Naomi's Table right here on this radio station. Uh, Naomi's Table, by the way, is a, a Titus II type of program for women. And, and if you're female, uh, we ask that you join us at noon. Uh, we cover the basics of biblical womanhood. Uh, that's actually kind of scary for some of us. And some of us are hearing some of these things for the very first time. Uh, but we've got a brand new Bible study starting today on the book of Ruth. Again, that's noon uh, central time right here on this station. All right, we're going to dive in to this program. We're talking about things like friendly fire, uh, Matthew 18 moments, that sort of thing. And we're, we're asking some questions. Does the phrase, touch not my anointed, mean we should not ever question pastors, ministries, or each other? What does Matthew 18 mean in context? Well, those are some of the questions we're asking today as we talk about the attacks launched against the biblical text and the bride of Christ. Now, we know that those attacks against God truth of well they've always been around they've they've come from um, the outside of course but now we're, we're seeing a lot of those coming from the inside there seems to be an explosion of attacks against the bible uh, from within and and to those of you who are alarmed at this and are contending for the faith by asking questions and raising some legitimate concerns well we're asking what is the most god-honoring way to do this and how should we deal with so-called friendly fire well joining us today Today, our guest, Chris Roseborough, the host of a daily radio program called Fighting for the Faith. It is excellent. It's heard around the world on a network called Pirate Christian Radio, and that's a broadcast group that he founded to help Christians discern God's word in a world where there seems to be no shortage of, well, all sorts of messages that are against God's word. Chris Roseborough, my friend, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Thanks for having me on, Amy. I uh, really appreciate it. Hey, Chris, we've had a lot of new listeners since you last joined us, and just wanted you to be able to take a moment and explain Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. 
Sure. Well, Pirate Christian Radio is a uh, internet uh, t- Christian talk radio station that I uh, founded five years ago, mm-hmm. and and the goal was to do old school uh, theology and apologetics because I had no I had noticed that there had been a major shift in a lot of Christian talk radio away from sound biblical exegesis and really kind of telling people what they wanted to hear. And, and, and rather than bringing forward God's Word rightfully handled, uh, people were getting messages uh, that had more to do with pop psychology and popularized notions that really can't be supported from the biblical text. And so uh, I put together PCR as uh, as a means of uh, basically going back, you know, turning the, uh, the clock back and actually doing some hard-hitting good theology and apologetics. And then I do about two hours of uh, radio myself on PCR, where we take time to, on, my, on my program, Fighting for the Faith, to, to slow down and stop and you know take a listen to what popular pastors, preachers, teachers, lecturers, and authors are saying and testing it to see if it's really what God's Word says. And so the idea is to interact with the ideas that are being put out there, uh, but do so with an open Bible. One of the things I've uh, lately uh, told people is, never listen to my program with an open mind. That's ridiculous. (laughs) What I want you to do is listen with an open Bible. And if I'm wrong... You know, then challenge me because you know I'm a sinful human being and capable of mistakes and uh, and not rightly understanding God's word, just like everybody else. Mm, amen. Well, you know what? I, I have to just say this right off the top, Chris, that being a pastor must certainly be one of the toughest jobs in the world these days, and and really it's made a lot more difficult because there are real false teachers and and if I can use the H word, heretics and charlatans and those kind of things. How concerned about this was Jesus? Was he? I, I mean, on a scale of Somewhat or very? <laughs> very. <laughs> I would, I, if you don't think that Jesus was concerned about heresy and heretics, I would point you to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus literally decimates uh, the entire religious system of the Pharisees, calls it, uh, you know, doctrines of men rather than the doctrines of God, and just completely trashes their entire uh, religious system, the premises behind it, and everything. But then also, I would point you to Jesus's prophecies regarding, uh, you know, his eminent return in judgment to judge the living and the dead, found in uh, Matthew chapter 24. It's a great passage, and uh, and you know, right off the bat, when the disciples ask him about, you know, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? You know, the end of the age, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says. Uh, beware that no one deceives you. <laughs> For many false Christs and false prophets will arise and basically deceive many in his name. So the idea is, is that Jesus warned us that, uh, you know, Satan is the, is the enemy, is the enemy of God, the enemy of Christ, and the way he operates is by sowing tares in among the wheat. And uh, this is something that has always been a problem and will continue to be a problem and be a growing problem. In fact, it will be so disproportionately bad uh, prior to his return, you know, that that's one of the marks, that's one of the signs. It, it growing apostasy, growing heresy, growing false teaching, and, uh, you know, many, many wolves, uh, you know, dressed up in, in their sheep costumes to try <laughs> to deceive people. This This is something that Jesus actually warned us uh, greatly about, and I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, it's an 11, mm. you know? 
Well, I, I would agree with you just because of what the, you know, the more you read the Bible, the more you see his words and he's pleading with people to not be deceived, to check everything. And really, I, I think he's given that to all of us to be discerning, uh, maybe not just a gift for a few, but, but uh, discernment really is something that we all should be doing. And we don't get that, of course, um, from radio people. We get that from the Bible, don't we? Yes, we do. Um, the scriptures are very clear that uh, we're to practice discernment. And the way you practice discernment is rightly understanding true doctrine from false doctrine. Think of, think of it this way, um, that when somebody becomes a Christian, okay, um, we'll talk about adult converts in this context. Somebody becomes a Christian. They've spent all of their life up to that point, literally, no joke, dead in trespasses and sins. And coming into Christianity, they are going to have a lot of baggage. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about psychology here. I'm talking about flat-out false ideas about God, false ideas about religion, false ideas about all kinds of things. And so Scripture refers to our sanctification as the renewing of our minds. So you can think of sin in this way. This is you know, kind of a blanket way of t- talking about it. Sin is a, is a form of brain damage. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that people's brains are actually damaged, you know, to the sense where we can go and do a psycho, you know, a study scientifically. What I'm talking about here is that um, when we're born dead in trespasses and sins, we actually believe that good is evil and that evil is good. We believe that the God who love us, loves us actually hates us. We believe it's silly and stupid to believe that God could actually create the entire universe in six days just by speaking it into existence. There's all kinds of really crazy ideas that we as, un- as unbelievers would, would proclivitate to. And so part of sanctification is not just Christ curbing out of us the desires of our sinful flesh, but also purging out of us the false doctrines and beliefs that we grew up with and held on to while we were Christians, and uh, not Christians, non-Christians, and that sometimes takes uh, a long time to come to grips with, because I remember... As a young man, you know, I, I really thought I was really super smart, you know, and, and I thought I knew better than God's Word on certain things, but as I would read God's Word, I'd sit there and go, man, that doesn't say what I believe. And finally I realized, well, dummy, uh, the reason why that the text doesn't say what you believe is because you're wrong! <laughs> Oh well, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about what happens when you when you see something. Let's say your eyes are open to a um, a concern, a particular issue, and and you see yeah. it uh, kind of maybe taking root in your church. And uh, and you know, in all sincerity, I mean, I mean, people really just want to reach out to the lost. How do you handle that? How do you, how do you handle it when you see uh, something and you, and you want to say something but you don't know if you should? Um, you need to say something. It, 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 you need to say something. And, and the reason why you have to is because Scripture is so clear that false doctrine actually shipwrecks the faith of people. And so the idea is this, is that many times what happens in, in a church is that you got a pastor who is well-meaning. He's a Christian brother. He's well-meaning. He's read a, a recently popular book, and he just thinks, that oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And he hasn't really taken the time to look at that book or what this person is teaching through a, a you know a more careful lens of scripture sometimes we as human beings get caught up in the moment you know it's you know there's fads that run through the church and um, as a result of it it's really easy to get caught up in the fad because everybody is thinking this is the greatest thing ever and everybody talks about it i i would think back to that fad that came that went through you know maybe about 10 years ago uh the you know the prayer of jabez you know mm-hmm. who's praying the prayer of jabez now? <laughs> you know you know it's 
it, it it was bad hermeneutics. It was a it was a horrible book. And it, it's when you see somebody, you know, back. You know, let's so we'll go back in time. So your your pastors jumped on the prayer of Jabez bandwagon. You, which the first thing you don't do is don't say, oh well, that means that he's a heretic and that he's now become an agent of the devil. <laughs> what could pass? possibly be happening is it's just that you know his sinful flesh has got the best of him and he's not really thinking biblically clearly so you take him aside and you say to him listen um you know that whole prayer of jabez thing can can we talk about this because i i think that this is not actually a, a good handling of god's word in scripture and I, I i think we have more important things to do as christians and so you carefully take him aside and kind of clean things up a bit and, and by the way we have an example of this we have an example of this in the book of acts in the book of Acts, we have the story of Apollos. Are you familiar with, uh, yes. with Apollos? Oh, yes. Okay, Apollos, you know, when we first see him come on the scene in the book of Acts, this is a man who um, was a staunch defender of Christianity, but he had a false doctrine of baptism. And, and let me read the text to you. It's Acts chapter 18. Um, I'll start at verse 24. It says, now this, uh, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. I mean, that's a great great setup, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, uh, but <laughs> he, he knew only the baptism of John the Baptist. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So you'll notice that Aquila and Priscilla here didn't sit, go, Oh, no, Apollos is teaching the baptism of John the Baptist. That heretic, we've got to, we've got to blog about him. <laughs> no, what they, did, what they did is they took him aside and they said, Listen, 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 listen. This, the John the Baptist baptism, that's not, that's not accurate. And so they, they corrected him. So if your pastor is jumping on a bandwagon and is not teaching something accurately, you take him aside. And the idea is, is as Christian brothers and sisters, we should expect that sometimes, you know, one of us or some of us or all of us are going to make errors of these kinds. And so you, you, you correct them and you interact with the theology, the thing you don't want to do. And I, and I mean this, the thing you don't want to do is say, oh, well, you know, the reason why my pastor, he's jumped on that whole prayer of Jabez thing is because I bet you secretly he's working as a mason. You know, or I know the reason why he's not really a Christian and he's, he's joined up with some Illuminati group in order to graft us into the worldwide global conspiracy to, you know, what, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you don't do that. (laughs) You know, there are, yes, there are people who are like that, but you don't immediately jump to that conclusion. Now, if your pastor says, no, this is a great thing, and I'm gonna, and he's digging in his heels and all that kind of stuff, then you gotta, you got to get a little bit stronger, and and you basically say, no, listen, this is what Scripture says. And sometimes, unfortunately, when you correct a pastor or a teacher, and they're not willing to hear what you have to say, and they're digging in their heels and saying, no, you're absolutely wrong, sometimes pastors, being sinful human beings, might retaliate against you in a way that is not biblical. They Mm -hmm. might throw you out of their church. They might actually, uh, you know, um, issue a restraining order against you and, or, or, or something like that. But in that case, the principle that is at stake is, is that you want to make sure that if you're going to suffer for standing up for the truth, that you're suffering for actually standing up for the truth, and you're not suffering because you're basically just being a, 
uh, a pain in the rump. You know, you, th- there are people who suffer for being a pain in the rump, and they think they're, pay- they're suffering because, you know, they're suffering for Christ and standing up for the truth, but in reality, <laughs> they're, they're not, you know. And so that, that's the other thing. You know, sin makes it possible for us to deceive ourselves in all kinds of ways, you know, even to the point where we feel like we're suffering a martyr's death you know, for being a witness for Christ <laughs> when we're not. Yeah. You know, and I, I, it just kind of reminds me that I, I think the very first step, if you have a concern, uh, would be to pray about it. And just go to God in prayer. He needs to be the first person that you uh, dial up you know, instead yeah. of calling up your friends. I, I think we have an enemy who would love to drive a wedge into the body of Christ and has been doing that since the very beginning. But, Chris, you mentioned some things. You mentioned that there is a cost for standing up. And, uh, yeah. and, and if you're truly standing up, uh, you know, in the right way, you could be the most loving person in the world and still be called a hater. Talk to us about that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. In in some cases, and, and at this point, let me go to the opposite side of the spectrum. You know, in some cases, what you're really honestly dealing with is a wolf in sheep's clothing. You're dealing with a heretic. You're dealing with somebody who may not even be aware of it, but the reality is is that they're really an agent of the devil. And And so when you correct them, or you call out their false teaching and and de- demonstrate that it's false. Sometimes what they will do, and this is actually kind of a, a a standard thing, they make you the issue. Okay, they change the subject and then they launch into you and they call you a hater. And this is a fascinating thing. And this kind of goes into the issue of thou shalt not touch God's anointed, which is completely out of context. It's not talking about pastors. Now, um, so the idea then is is that you call out somebody's false teaching. And, and by the way, I get called hater all the time. You call out somebody's false teaching. You demonstrate from Scripture that this is not what the Bible says and that the person is actually teaching destructive and false doctrine, which Scripture forbids his pastors to do. And I would point people, by the way, to uh, something like uh, the book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 9 through chapter 2, verse 1. But I'll, I'll just read the last, you know, chapter 2, verse 1, you know, talking to pastors. But as for you, you teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Scripture makes it clear that the job of a pastor is to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, and he has the responsibility to rebuke those who contradict it. Sometimes when you rebuke somebody who's contradicting sound doctrine and wrongly handling God's word, their standard answer is, touch not God's anointed, you're a hater, and they change the subject and try to make you the issue. In that particular case, you're not the issue. What they're basically doing is throwing up a smoke screen so that they can keep doing what they're doing and not repent and continue to make merchandise of people. Those are really the wolves. If somebody's first response is, you can't touch God's anointed, I'm a pastor in the church, you have to submit to my authority, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, yeah, we've got a real problem there. The problem is the pastor, not the person pointing out that what they're teaching is false doctrine. When somebody immediately throws the authority card or at, launches in with an ad hominem attack, that means an attack against the person who's brought up the issue, mm-hmm. that's a sign that you've got a real problem on your hands and you may really actually be dealing with a heretic.
Mm, boy, you know, if you have any questions for Chris today, or you just would like to share your own testimony of, of what's been happening and your, you know, your experience with this, 1-800-979-9010 is the number to call. You can also email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com or just go on our Facebook page. There's a, a lively conversation going in on there. Chris, uh, one more question before we go to break, and I'd love for you to hang on with me. Um, it is the hardest thing in the world to uh, raise your hand, and I know that this is is very different for men and women and our and we talk about this uh, with women all the time uh, on our program at Naomi's table you know biblical womanhood and everything if you're going to do this and you're a woman um, how how best to do this and, and what not to do um, if you're a woman you do it respectfully now notice the passage I read to you re- regarding Apollos's false teaching notice that it said there Aquila and Priscilla yes. both men a man and a woman corrected took aside and corrected a man who was a Christian but was also believing something falsely. And so I think that's a great passage to go to and say, listen, there is no passage in Scripture that says rebuking or correcting or being a good Berean or pointing out false doctrine is something that is exclusive only to men. No, because Priscilla did it as well as Aquila, we can say biblically that men and women have the right and the authority as Christians to to call the question as to whether or not what somebody is teaching is true doctrine or false doctrine, but they must do it in a Christian way, and that means dealing with the substance of what was said and not attacking the person um, who you know, the, you know, the, using an ad hominem attack or bad logic or bad reasoning to you know to bring these issues up. So that's the idea: is, is that Scripture does not say only men or only women can do this. You know, Aquila and Priscilla both did it. Mm. I, okay, I lied. I, and one more question before we go to break. I'm going to squeak one more in. Oh no, you're oh, a no. liar. <laughs> yeah, that's what people will hear, unfortunately. Um, anyway, <laughs> Chris, what do you think about the idea of, of shooting off an email to to the church? I mean, I, I would think that, that doing it one-on-one would be much more biblical, but I know a lot of people like email. What, what do you think about that? Um, just, uh, I'm going to give you just some practical advice here. When you write an email, there's something about writing an email that is a little bit disconnected from reality. I don't know what it is um, about this particular medium. If you're going to write an email, my suggestion is this. You pray first, write your first draft, and then sit on it for three days. <laughs> I like that advice. <laughs> okay, then you sit on it for three days. After three days, you come back and, you know, and by the way, during those three days, make sure you're having your morning devotions and reading your Bible and continuing to pray. And after three days, you come back and read, reread your email, and I guarantee what you're going to find is, is in the first draft, you're going, oh man, there's some things I, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say this, and don't want to say that. Then edit it. And then send it. All right. <laughs> Very good. Our guest today is Chris Roseborough from Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith, his program. We're going to take a break right now, but uh, we're going to continue on with this because there's some very interesting tactics used uh, by some out there in the uh, so-called purpose-driven model that uh, really has the card stacked against anyone who would raise their hand. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines, 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment on Q90FM. This is Stand Up For The Truth. Call in your questions now at 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Now, back to Amy Spreeman. If you are just joining us, our guest today is Chris Roseborough. Uh, he has Pirate Christian Radio, and within Pirate Christian is his own radio show called Fighting for the Faith. And uh, Chris, welcome back. I, I have to say, the very first uh, time I ever heard you or heard of you, uh, somebody had sent me a link to a podcast that you had done on um, some cult-like behavior taking over and in tactics of the purpose-driven church. And, and I was just very brand new to it. I, I have to say, I about felt off my chair when I heard about some of the tactics. Let's start there and talk about some of the, the ways that uh, people are shot down when they do raise their hand. Right. Um, this is one of the, uh, I would say, sinful aspects of the, uh, the ecclesiastical model of the purpose-driven church. What they do is they, they change the role of a pastor. He's no longer a shepherd. He's a leader. And he's not just any old kind of leader. He's a vision-casting leader, which means he's, he believes that he's received a vision from God to do church a specific way. And what Dan Sutherland taught in his transitions uh, book, as well as his transition seminar, when he was teaching pastors to transition their churches from a, a traditional ecclesiology, which is actually a biblical ecclesiology, to this new purpose-driven model and teaching these guys to cast vision and stuff like that, what he trained them to do is anybody who did not agree with the vision or get in line with the vision was to be considered a wolf who must be shot. And that is a complete twisting of Scripture and is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, somebody who has an improper understanding of authority when it comes to the pastoral office or the job of a pastor. The pastor has the authority to serve. He does not have the authority to rule. And the pastor is sinful. He is not sinless. The pastor is not above reproach. He, just like everybody else, is to be held accountable. And the, and the seeker-driven, purpose-driven model actually turns the... Uh, pastor, you know, again, changes him from a shepherd to a leader and makes it so that there's no accountability that comes up from within the congregation to the pastor, and they're trained, literally trained, that anybody who disagrees with them or challenges the, what he's saying or challenges the vision is to be treated like a wolf, must be shot and put out. That is absolutely a twisting of God's word, unbiblical, and an abuse of the pastoral office and is not in line with uh, our great and tender shepherd, Jesus Christ. I do have to, uh, I hope you don't na mind, uh, Chris, but I am going to name names. Is that biblical? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it is, it is absolutely biblical to name names. You think of the Apostle Paul. He says that Hymenaeus and Alexander have, uh, you know, greatly hurt me. You know, he names names. You know, to talk about other heretics who shipwrecked the faith. I mean, even in Galatians, it says that Peter was wrong, so I opposed him to his face in front of everybody. Well, it didn't say, and one of the apostles who all named nameless. You know, no, <laughs> Peter was. You know, listen, heresy and heretics go together. 
<laughs> you, you know, the person who's teaching it must be held responsible for the, their errors, and you have to rebuke them publicly as as and it with the goal of getting them to repent. That's the goal. You know, you don't just say somebody's a heretic just because you want to label them that. You point out their heresy and their false teaching because ultimately there's two things you're trying to do: protect people from the false doctrine and the sinner who's who's teaching the false doctrine needs to repent and be forgiven because false doctrine is a form of sin and sin is slavery. You don't want them to continue to be in bondage to this stuff. You want them to be set free from it. Mm, absolutely. Well, then I will name uh, one name here. Um, a gentleman by the name of Dan Sutherland uh, wrote a book and did some training of some pastors. Actually, this is very widespread. I, I, you'll, I'm sure you can tell me the name of it, but you actually featured uh, his sound bites from his training on some of the tactics used. Uh, what are some of the tactics used that, that people might uh, uh, hear if they if they attend a, a meeting at, at one of these churches? Well, it, it, to trans. It's, it, by the way, his book is called Transitions, and I'm holding it right here. And um, his seminar is is the Church Transition Seminar. Now, I don't know if he's still doing it. He's kind of getting up in age now, but he did this for the better part of a decade. And you know, the tactics against you know the, the people who would say, "Listen, this is not biblical." Is it, it's breathtakingly awful. I mean, you you basically. You, you treat them like they're the wolf, and you shoot them. That's how he describes it. And um, and what Sutherland is basically telling pe- these pastors as they're transitioning into this purpose-driven model is, you know, that anybody who is challenging the vision is challenging God and has to be put out. I mean, it's it's backwards, upside down. They they these are people who eliminate uh, any kind of accountability, completely change the structure within an, uh, within the church so that it's a top-down leadership. There's there's no voters assemblies. There's no committees or anything. Not that committees are from God. Sometimes I think they're actually from the devil. But um, the point is, is that the way the structure changes is that the pastor has no accountability to the people, and the people uh, they are fully accountable to the pastor and to the vision. It's it's all one-sided in one way, and that is not biblical. It's it's oh, it's, it's absolutely horrific and what ends up happening is is good christian people um, end up finding themselves put out of their church uh, for doing biblical things and questioning uh, these changes and questioning uh, the the teaching of the pastor because along with it becomes a a complete changing of the theology that's being featured from the pulpit now let's talk a little bit about uh, a certain chapter in Revelation. This one um, really gets to the heart of why we need to contend, and it is, as you mentioned, Chris, it is our heart. We need to we need to examine our hearts. We can't just you know uh, stab and grab or whatever it is. We we need to be caring. We need to uh, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, in in the book of Revelation, you know, you have Jesus literally have the Apostle John. Take down, you know, dic- you know, Jesus is dictating letters to the, to different churches, and what you find is, is that um, these are these churches end up becoming major types of problems that exist within even our congregations today, and um, the church at Ephesus, which is actually kind of fascinating, I would say if you would say that um, the, the the major error of so many of the uh, the churches today uh, within the visible church uh, in America would be the sin of the Laodiceans. However, what what I find is is that uh, in the book of Revelation chapter two, 
I would say we see the other end of the spectrum, and, and the sin that, uh, that the Church of Ephesus engaged in is, I would say, uh, somebody who deals in apologetics and discernment, this is the other, the other side of the spectrum. On the, lay, on the one side, you've got the lay of the seasons, but on the other side, you've got the sin of the Ephesians. Let me read the passage to you. Jesus uh, dictates uh, this letter uh, written by the Apostle John. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, and Jesus begins with, with a commendation. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. Mm-hmm. So Jesus here points to the church in Ephesus and says, good on you for rightly, for rightly discovering and weeding out false apostles and false teachers. This, so Jesus has commendation for them on this, and so he gives them kudos. We, this is what the church must be doing. And then he says, And I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, this is a great letter. This is a great letter. And the reason why this is so great is because it completely affirms and reinforces that that false doctrine must be watched against. It must be guarded against. When it shows up, it must be called out. And Jesus himself, regarding the Nicolaitans, says that he hates their works. And the Nicolaitans were a, a false sect that were teaching an, uh, what it was considered like an antinomian heresy. The antinomian means against the law. They were teaching that, oh, now that we're Christians, we don't need the law. Yeah, no, no, that's antinomianism. And Jesus says he hates their works. He hates their doctrine. Great. But notice here that Jesus says that, that you've, you've abandoned your first love. And so one of the things is when you, spend, uh, when you spend time defending the church against error and false teachers, it's very easy to become very cynical. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to do what you do, not in love for people, but because now, uh, you know, I've become really good at discovering what's false and, what's, and, uh, and defending the truth, and the, and the focus changes. See, when we call people sin out, when we call people sin out, whether it's sin of false doctrine, whether it's the sin of lying or gossiping, you always do it with this in mind. Christ died for your sins and died for their sins. If we really believe that sin is slavery and bondage and, you know, in a way in which the devil holds people in, you know, you know, in captive, then our ultimate goal must be to love our neighbor and speak the truth to him passionately and firmly for his repentance so that he can be set free from sin, not to label him and say, ha ha, I have successfully discovered X, Y, and Z heretic, and I am the one who has labeled him, and da-da, I am the crown victorious, you know, that's not yeah. love, okay? No, no, it isn't. Chris, that is such a good, good reminder. And, you know, any one of us at any time can skate dangerously close to the edge or even jump right into that pool of self-righteousness. And, and what a great reminder from the Bible for all of us uh, to do that in the heart of love, because it does matter what we say and how we say it. Um, so, Chris, I, I do have a, a Facebook post I'd like to read. In fact, there's a, quite a good conversation going on here about today's program. Uh, Clarice got in and said, Paul commended the Bereans in 
in Acts 17.11 for searching the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was preaching to them was true. How can we be Bereans if we can't question anything without uh, someone like the pastor saying, touch not my anointed? I heard this being used by a youth pastor years ago who went to the so-called Brownsville Revival and didn't want anyone to question his experience or anything else he would say. Um, That's a really good point that she brings up, and I'm wondering about that extra-biblical experience because that's kind of a uh, something that uh, we're seeing a lot of today. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Let's let's go okay. back to her question though. How can you be a good Berean without questioning or examining? You can't. <laughs> you can't. It's impossible. Let me read the passage to you. It's Acts chapter 17, and I'll start at verse 10. Here's what it says: The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They had a let's say a bad experience in Thessalonica. I'm being you know facetious here. It's a, it was worse than bad. Now these Jews, the Jews in Berea, were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Notice, this isn't Paul commending them. This is God the Holy Spirit, because all scriptures God breathed, right? Yes. And what did God the Holy Spirit say of the Bereans? That they had a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, because they received the word from Paul with all eagerness, and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, let me just lay this all out, okay? The Apostle Paul for sure, we know with certainty, is a man who was a murderer, who was killing Christians, and was zealous to, to wipe out Christianity. And Jesus himself appeared to him, and he went from being um, a hater <laughs> to actually proclaiming the gospel of Christ and defending it. And he was an apostle abnormally born. He's seen Jesus. All of this is most certainly true. And notice here that the Holy Spirit makes a point of telling us that the Bereans didn't sit there and go, oh, you know, we better believe this guy because he's the Apostle Paul. Touch not God's anointed. No. They said, thank you, Paul. We appreciate the message that you've given us. Let's open up our Bibles to test to see if what you're saying is true. And God, the Holy Spirit, says of the Bereans that they had a noble... (laughs) Mm, Yes. So the idea is this is that when somebody plays the thou shalt not touch God's anointed card, it's because they're trying to protect the indefensible. I think down on some level, they know they're believing something false, and uh, and they don't want to be challenged on it. They just want to persist in their sin. You can't do that. If you have a noble character, you actually test and examine to see if what people are saying is true. All right. The way we all have to operate. It is. Because you're cutting out a little bit. What I want to do is uh, uh, take a little break, and I'm hoping you can stick with me for another segment. Uh, can you? Sure. All right. I'd love to ask you about uh, the correct understanding of Matthew 18. And does that apply to individuals, ministries, bloggers, perhaps, radio hosts? We're going to ask you that question when we come back. If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at standupwithetruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines, 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment on Q90FM. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now back to Amy Spreeman. 
Hey, we're back in our final segment with our special guest, Chris Roseboro from Pirate Christian Radio and his program, Fighting for the Faith. We've got that all linked up. In fact, we've got so many related links on our website today for today's program that uh, it's going to take you at least three days to get through all of them, but I highly recommend them, and I've got some of them marked off in red, the ones that I think uh, you would really benefit from in this conversation. Chris, in our last few minutes, I, I want to talk to you about Matthew 18, and uh, who does that apply to, and who does it not apply to? Okay, this is a great question, and let's answer the question by looking at the text, and there's something very, very specific I want everyone to see in this text, that the goal is somebody's repentance. Even Matthew 18, is, is the purpose of it is love. The reason why the purpose of it is love is because we don't want our neighbors, our, our fellow Christians, to be enslaved to sin. The whole goal is, is, is repentance and restoration. Let me, let me read the passage. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, so this is a private sin, not a public sin, and, I'll, and I'm going to contrast this with another passage. So if your brother sins against you, you know, maybe he's, he's uh, schnookered you out of a hundred bucks, or you know, you, you made a wager with him you know, regarding whether or not the Dodgers were going to win last night, and, and he hasn't paid up. You know, he sinned against you in some way, right? Okay, not the, that, uh, that people should be gambling, but you get what I'm saying. Okay, he says, and so you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See what the goal? The goal here is to gain your brother. The goal here is not to say, you sinned against me, I want justice. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what's going on here. Okay, you want to gain your brother because he's sinning and sin is slavery. You want your, you want your brother to be set free from his sin, right? Okay, but if he doesn't listen to you, oi, now we've got a problem. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to you, then tell it to the church. Okay, now we've got a problem. We've got a real problem. Again, what's the goal? The goal is to gain your brother, right? Right. Listen to you, even to the church. Well, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second here. How does the church treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Answer, well, they're not part of our congregation. They can't commune with us. But we want, we want tax collectors and Gentiles to hear the gospel. So you preach and teach to him as if he's an unbeliever. Let me tell you about Jesus and how he's died for your sins. Repent, therefore, and be forgiven. So the idea here is the gospel is through and through all of this. That's really the idea, because we, we as Christians have the message of reconciliation and the forgiveness of sins. And when a brother sins against you and refuses to repent, refuses to be forgiven, he doesn't want to be forgiven by Christ. Oh, this is a terrible state. But so when you treat him, treat him like a tax collector or a Gentile, you're basically treating him as an unbeliever, and you go back to square one, telling him to repent and to be forgiven by the gospel, right? Right. Okay. Now, that's all privately. Now, if a heretic arises and is doing something publicly and teaching contrary, Matthew 18 doesn't apply. If that were the case, then think of it this way. Creflo Dollar, a notorious televangelist and heretic, okay? He's out there preaching and teaching all kinds of false doctrine on television and other things like this. If Matthew 18 applied, well, then what, here's the idea, okay? We would have to go to Creflo Dollar privately and say, oh, Creflo, you know, you're teaching false doctrine. What if he doesn't want to take your call? What if he doesn't want to meet with you, okay? Or you meet with him, he says, yeah, that's fine, whatever. I mean, how do you exercise discipline in this case? If you were to apply Matthew 18 when it comes to public heresies, then what you're basically doing is making it an impossible 
for heretics to have their heresies pointed out. That's not what's going on here. The other, there's a different passage that applies, and that's Galatians chapter 2. I would start at verse 11. The, you know, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that the great Apostle Peter, Cephas, okay, this is a guy you know, who was, was with Jesus for a long time. He walked on the water. Jesus restored him. I mean, this is a guy who's got major clout within the Christian church. But listen to this. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, when they came he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, if you, the Gentile, are not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's the idea, is that public sins like this get called out publicly, and they're called out publicly in front of the brothers, and again, the goal's the same, the gospel, repentance and forgiveness, so that you can win your brother, and he will no longer teach according to lies, but teach according to the truth, no longer be held in bondage to false doctrine, but be set free by Christ and his shed blood on the cross for us. All right. Well, I've got another email here. Actually, this is a Facebook post. Great question from uh, Diana, who said, Would you please ask Chris about public forums and blogging? Okay. A couple of things. There's nothing wrong with blogging. Nothing wrong with blogging, and there's nothing wrong with having spirited debate and conversations around issues and substance on Facebook or on blogs or anything like that. But here's the temptation that a lot of people actually succumb to, is that they'll start in on a conversation on a Facebook page or in the comment section of a blog, or they'll put together a blog post or whatever, and rather than dealing with the substance of the false doctrine, what they end up doing is getting into a mudslinging match as to whether or not so-and-so is even a Christian. And it just it devolves into something that isn't, really a good conversation to have. We need to avoid those things like the plague and not be drawn into them, and it's really easy to be. You have to stay on topic and keep keep on topic and focus on the substance of the doctrines with the goal of warning people against false doctrine and with the hope and prayer that the person who's teaching it will repent and be forgiven. That's really what it's all about. When it devolves into a mudslinging match, oftentimes what happens is is that people are then uh, divided into factions and sides based upon the personalities. Such and such a person said this, I agree with him. Such a person said that, I agree with him. Well, you know, what does Paul say? You know, you know, some people say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. But who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We all belong to Christ. The, the, the one side that we're all supposed to be on is the side of Christ, and understand that every one of us is capable of all kinds of sin, and when that happens, the goal of these types of correction is repentance, forgiveness of sins, and restoration. That's really what all of it, and when it isn't that and it turns into something else, then we, we come dangerous to the same sin that the Ephesians fell into, and that's not motivated by love. And when that happens, you know what we do? We repent. Yes. We repent, and we ask for forgiveness. And then we, at, we bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. That's how we, how we move forward. This is why Christianity is a religion that teaches us, that teaches us that daily we pray 
Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, amen. And, you know, I, I think that in this day of age, of, day and age of uh, social media and, and just the, the very quick response, it, it's easy to do a couple of things, and that is uh, fall into this cult of personality where, we're, we're, like you said, we're following the wrong person. And the other thing is is uh, just the, the emotions into it. And I really like how Scott said this on our Facebook page. He said, uh, it should be noted that uh, particularly in this self-exalting, emotion-ruled culture that being offended does not necessarily qualify as being sinned against not by a very long shot and he says the truth of scriptures about God, man, repentance, sexuality education and pretty much every other subject of consequence are inherently offensive to men and women rebelling against the authority of the word of God what do you think of that? I think that's a brilliant, brilliant quote (laughs) (laughs) he's got a major point see here's the deal is that one of the things that I'm on my program, and I do that, is I'm willing to say things that I know in our politically correct culture will cause somebody to be offended. I will not not say it just because I know somebody will be offended. The thing is, is that the important thing then is, is that make it so that the truth is the offense, not you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the truth has to be, and the truth is offensive. Um, you know, truth and love is what we say. You can't have one without the other. And right. uh, and really, in these in these type of uh, uh, online social activities, you know, I'd, again, I don't mind a, a nice uh, spirited discussion either, as long as it doesn't devolve into name calling, mudslinging, and uh, and people generally not playing nice. But uh, a lot of you are commenting now on the Facebook page. I, I think that uh, those of you who aren't on on Facebook, oh, I envy you. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, what sort of topics are you going to be covering this week on your program, Fighting for the Faith? <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the things we here. do at Fighting for the Faith is that we use a, uh, a, a way of exposing heresy sometimes called a reductio ad absurdum. Now, it's a silly way of doing things, but sometimes the best apologetic against a bad doctrine is to show how silly it is. <laughs> so I, I, I have no joke. I've got video this week of um, that I'll be covering. Maybe not today, but I might do it tomorrow or Thursday. Um, of Joyce Meyer talking about warning the church about wolves and false teachers. <laughs> oh my! Okay. <laughs> the reason that's funny is because she's notorious for twisting God's word, and it's really funny what she does with this text. And uh, what she doesn't do with it, so that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. But we're also this week we're going to be uh, we're going to be emphasizing uh, again the uh, the sin of the Ephesians and the need for uh, for those who engage in discernment and warning the church to well to be willing to confess their sins and to be reconciled with their brothers and to have conversations about the substance of matters. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, at this point, a little bit of noise, but we haven't worked through all of that yet, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to... Uh, uh, make my contributions along those lines, especially in today's program. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. And I just want to say to our listeners, you know, the conversation is continuing online, but do go to our our website today, standupforthetruth.com. And if you haven't ever listened to Fighting for the Faith, uh, there are links there where you can go and listen.
Christian. Uh, it's found on Pirate Christian Radio. It's it's a, a site that you need to have the address for, so I'm just going to go and, and have you link up there. But there are some very interesting articles also that will really help uh, embellish what you've heard and uh, really put some scripture to that so that uh, you can get much more than just this 50-minute uh, uh, podcast. I really encourage you to do that and, and find Chris. Find him online. Uh, befriend him. Follow him. And uh, uh, catch what he's doing there. It's all good stuff. Thanks again, Chris, for being on our program. Thank you, Amy. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to have some final thoughts on this show and tell you about some things coming up this week. We'll be right back. Have a question for Amy? Email her anytime at comments at standupforthetruth.com. We'll wrap up Stand Up For The Truth in a moment on Q90FM. We're getting ready to wrap up this edition of the show, but the discussion is just beginning. More info on today's topics and much more can be found on StandUpWithTheTruth.com. Now, here's Amy Spreeman with some final thoughts. I just thought that today's program was such an encouragement to anybody who uh, is concerned about where things are going in the visible church. Uh, Do raise your hand. Do speak out. We are called to do that. But above all, we need to do it in love with that heart of restoration. And uh, the purpose is to win over our brother and sister. Uh, Say, speaking of brothers and sisters, uh, my bro, Michael LeMay, will be back with us tomorrow. He's taking a little vacation day today. And uh, this week on Stand Up For The Truth, one of the guests you'll want to make sure you tune in for is a guy by the name of Warren Smith. Now, Warren, if you've never uh, heard him talk before, he spent so many years in the New Age. He even had spirit guides and did all sorts of things. He's come out of that now, and uh, he, for many years he's warned. He's been that voice in the wilderness warning about uh, New Ageism and how it's seductively creeping into the church, and it sounds so good. Uh, we're going to tell you just how deceptive that is on Thursday's program. And then today at noon, coming up at the table, we're starting a brand new um, women's Bible study in the book of Ruth. Our, our Bible study teacher, Beth Seifert, you're going to meet her. And Naomi's table is is for women. It, it, and we're talking today about biblical womanhood. It really is a counter-revolutionary concept. You're going to hear about that today with myself and uh, Nancy LeMay. She'll be here too. Well, thank you again for joining us. The podcast will be ready shortly if you've missed anything and if you've got some research or some things that you'd like to find out more about that you heard about today do go to standupforthetruth.com and use that research bar begin uh, looking at some of our resources on the resource page you'll find a whole bunch of ministries there uh, that can help you find what you're looking for until tomorrow be bold and strong and do share the full gospel we'll see you tomorrow and online god bless